Hi everyone. Before we kick off today's episode, we just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to all of the listeners that have liked, subscribed and followed the podcast. It means a lot to us and if you haven't done so already, please subscribe and follow us on our social media channels. Now for the latest episode. Welcome to Pitchside Perspective Podcast with your hosts Stuart Sharples and Jack Kolazar. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Pitchside Perspective Podcast. In today's episode, we're diving deep into the Premier League showdown as we approach the thrilling climax of the season. With just 13 games left on the horizon, the tensions are rising, the stakes are high and the excitement is electrifying. Join us as we analyse the contenders vying for the Premier League title. Will the reigning champions continue their dominance or will we see a new team claim the throne? With each match becoming increasingly crucial, the battle for supremacy has never been more fierce. But it's not just about the top of the table, we'll also explore the nail-biting race at the bottom as teams fight tooth and nail to escape relegation. Who will muster the strength to survive and which clubs will face the heartbreak of relegation? From impressive victories to unexpected upsets, we'll dissect the latest developments, provide some debatable analysis and offer our bold predictions for the final outcome. Talk about being bold. Jack, how are you, mate? I'm good. These introductions are getting longer. I think you've been reading the dictionary with some of the big words you've thrown out. I'm, but, I'm trying uh, to improve my uh, my vocabulary um, and bring in some bigger words, make me seem more intelligent than I am. Yeah, it's really working well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, this will be interesting. I feel like we haven't had a catch up on the Premier League for a while. So uh, it'll be interesting to uh, go back, see how the teams are doing compared to what we thought they'd be doing. And um, I'm sure we got most of them wrong, but maybe one or two correct ones in there as well. Well, that's why I put in the uh, in the introduction some debatable analysis, just uh, just so we're not claiming that we are experts because we're far from it. But I can't believe how quick this season's gone. Like, obviously, 13 games left. I feel like it was just yesterday we released the first episode on the podcast with our predictions. Um, and I listened to it on the way into work this morning. And uh, as we're going through the episode, or as I'm going through it in the car, I'm like, oh, God, got that one wrong, got that one wrong. But the biggest one, obviously, who's going to win it? Who's going down? So I think today we kind of look at both ends of the uh, the table and see what might happen in the next few weeks. But uh, before we do, Jack, question for me, please. Yep, going along with the Premier League theme. So the question for this week is this. Can you tell me, the biggest title-winning margin and the smallest title-winning margin that there has been in the Premier League. So the points, the teams involved, and the year for the biggest title-winning margin and then also the smallest title-winning margin of the Premier League. Wow, what a question this is. This is, uh, this is going to be tricky. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not normally one to keep a in the memory bank of how many points of the gap. So I'm really going to have to delve into it here. And I think it might be a bit of a guesswork. Um, but I've got something to throw kind of back at you. And I've Ooh. seen this uh, all over Instagram and I've kind of been liking it. And it's the uh, the blind rankings. Okay. So I'm going to give you five players in no particular order. And you have to rank these players, one being best and five being the worst. 
are these to, just to help me? Are these all-time players or current? No. So for this week, I've gone for five Premier League current strikers. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. That narrows it down a little bit. Yeah, just to give you some idea. Um, so we'll go in first one. So I don't, I don't know the all. I only know the players. They're only given to me one at a time, right? So I have they to. They are giving you one at them. a time, one at a time. So that is why it's called a blind ranking. Um, you rank them based on who might pop up. You might, you might get a Harland. You might not get a Harland. Right. So, number one, Ivan Tony. The free. Oh. Bang in the middle. Ollie Watkins. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll put him four. Okay. Gabriel Jesus. Oh, no. Uh, so if I put him five, then I'm just hoping that there's going to be a couple of good ones come in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gamble. I'm going to put him at five and hoping that, like, ha- so, I'll put him two. Jesus going two. In two? Yeah. Hoyland? Five. Mateta? One. Oh, <laughs> you got an absolute stinker there. Yeah, that wasn't good, was it? So you got Mateta in there at number one, and then you've got Hoyland in at number five. Terrible game. I don't know whose idea that was to do that. I know. I thought that'd be, uh, I thought that'd be a fun. It'd be interesting to see uh, people listening along what order they put their players in. Um, but I reckon we get right into it. Um, normally we're giving all the credit right to the the teams at the at the top, and in podcasts I listen to, it's always about the title and Champions League. But I feel like we start from the bottom. I feel like we look at the relegation candidates. Yeah, I think uh, the bottom three right now, not a great deal of surprises with Everton and Forest being the seventeenth and sixteenth as well. Palace, Brentford, and Bournemouth have been in poor form as well. So, the, you know, really from Basically, Fulham in 12th position on 29 points all the way down you know, to Sheffield United in 20th place. I've got one eye on it, but um, I'm expecting the three teams that are currently in there to be the three that go down at the moment, I think. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously I listened to, to the podcast and you had Sheffield United rock bottom. And I think that would be a safe bet to have made and still is a safe bet. I mean, I know they're on the same points as Burnley on 13 points, but I just see there is there is a difference between those two teams. Um, I think Sheffield United get quite a bit of disrespect towards them in terms of just thinking they're down straight away. Obviously, they got a decent win against Luton the other week, um, but surely they're not good enough to stay up, right? No, and I don't think even their own supporters felt that way after getting promoted and then making their team weaker, not stronger. So they I think we had a chat about how many points they might get. They got 13 already. You know, maybe they can get up to 20 points, which I think would be a surprise for most people. If they can get to 18, 20 points, but um I don't see them getting many more points. Big win against Luton, which was obviously a massive blow to Luton because if they'd have won that match they would be out of the relegation zone at the moment above Everton. So it's interesting, right? There's that magic like mid thirties, like thirty five, thirty six points to stay out of relegation. That they say that if you can hit like thirty five, thirty six points, you get it out. I'm looking at last year, Leicester City on in eighteenth got thirty four points, and Everton scraped out in thirty six points. So, what do you think? Do you think 
think they're going to need more this year? Do you think they're going to need less this year? Well, good good news for Chelsea is that they're on. They've just got to thirty five points, so they might be safe. Um, Chelsea is but, safe. Um, do I think they need? I think it's gonna be less. What do you say? Thirty four points was relegation last year. Yeah, I think it, uh, it might be thirty points and you're safe this year. I mean, but yeah. then that's that's saying that Luton are only ten points away in but in thirteen games. I I think I I think it could be a little bit higher because. Like you've mentioned there, like Brentford could get scraped into it. But if Brentford are scraped into it, that means they're really not picking up any points in the next 13 well, games. Well, Luton are on 20 points. Do you see them getting 10 more points in the next 13 games? Because they've only got 20 points from the last 25. Honestly, I'll eat my words a little bit here because I'll see it on the first one. I ripped them to shreds and said they wouldn't get anywhere near. But they've almost got that that good feeling about them and that underdog story that... I do see them getting more points on the table. And you look at the games that they've had at um, at their home ground at Kenilworth, they've made teams work for the three points. Like you look at like the big teams like City, Arsenal, and even United last weekend. For the most part, United were behind the ball, sticking 10 players behind there, struggling to scrape through a 2-1 win. So I think it I would think, be... I think Man United missed, they missed five very good goal scoring opportunities too but I think yeah I, I there's a feel good factor at Luton even though they're in the 18th place they have nothing to lose they're going out and, and giving these teams a good match but ultimately it's about grinding out points and when it comes down to the wire and you've got Sean Dyche at Everton who's experienced in that situation I think he'll grind out the points even if it's in an ugly way compared to Luton who haven't been in that position before in the Premier League so Luton stay up. Is Rob Edwards manager of the year? I, yeah, arguably. I, he won't get it because they never give the awards to, to the managers that do those kinds of jobs. Even when they do a great job, it always goes to the guys at the top of the table with the big clubs. Because um, at the same time, you would argue if, if a Liverpool or an Arsenal beat Man City to the title, then that's a great job done by the manager too. But yeah. All right, so, so hypothetically speaking... Let's say Liverpool Arsenal win the league. Liverpool, it would be Klopp's, obviously. He's already done it before. It'll be Arteta's first. What's a bigger achievement? Arsenal winning the league or Luton staying up? Arsenal winning the league to overcome Man City is a big, big deal. See, I disagree with you that. Look at look at the size of Luton. And to stay up in the Premier League, Arsenal, Arsenal have almost been building towards it, right? So... They narrowly missed out, or well, not narrowly, but they missed out last year, and like they're building towards it, and it's not a surprise that they're challenging again. But you look at the facilities and like the the financials behind Luton, for them to be in the conference ten years ago to where they are now, that takes some doing. Yeah, but when Huddersfield avoided relegation, was that a bigger achievement than the team that won the league? Uh, I don't think so. I think, uh, like, they're both massive achievements. It's just that the guys at the top of the table are going to win the manager of the award and manager of the year awards and all that kind of stuff. Um, any chance to bring Huddersfield into the conversation? I see there. Yeah, any chance? <laughs> it's rare there is a chance. So when there is, but um, so we're saying uh, Sheffield United rock bottom. Yeah, Burnley. We're on the same amount of points, just on thirteen points. They're going down. So here's another question. Which was probably a big. That's probably a bit of a disappointment because I feel like a lot of people 
with the way Burnley played, Vincent Company, there was a lot of noise about him. So I think people are a little bit disappointed, probably a little bit underwhelming that Burnley weren't able to put their stamp on the league a little bit more than they have done. Yeah, I think we both had Burnley doing or having an okay season. I think you're right there in terms of saying Vincent Company and the way they played last year that they would be able to carry it on. But is that maybe being a little bit naive about what the actual Premier League can bring into it? Um, I think when you, I, I watched both of their games this past weekend and it almost seems like Sheffield United have got a bit more fight about them, about staying up. So I I wouldn't maybe put Sheffield United rock bottom. I would say it would be a toss-up between both of them. I think they both end up going down. But then a question for you. If you're the more first... fight, I don't, well, you can have a bit more fight about you. You see the, the tackle? Oh. You think a red card after 10 minutes and you get beat 5-0 at Brighton. That does nothing for your team morale, the fight and togetherness in a team when someone just does something as idiotic as that and just basically kills the game off after 10 minutes. What? I don't get what's gone through his head. Like, has he gone into that tackle and gone, you know what, I'm going to go end your career? Or has he gone, I'm going to actually try and win the ball, but I'm just that bad of a player that my tackle's poor? No, I think it's probably somewhere in between the two. I don't think he's gone, I'm going to end your career. I think he's gone, I'm going to make a point with this tackle and just got it completely wrong. That's probably one of the worst tackles I've seen. Um, but yeah, so on the Burnley point of view, let's say they go down. Would you keep company and would you turn it into almost like a a journey, like he has to bring him back up and they've learned? I think that's a, a, a reasonable long-term plan. You go, you go down, you might have a little bit more money to spend um, and then you kind of build the squad looking to get straight back, bounce back and with that extra investment, be in a better position to stay up when you do uh, get promoted again. You'll know this better than... I will, but when Huddersfield went down, did they keep their manager or was it a case you got somebody new and fresh ideas? No, I think uh, so. Wanger resigned um, during the second season, the one they got relegated, I believe, yeah. if I remember correctly. And the guy that came in didn't didn't really... The problem was with Huddersfield, when they got relegated, like when you're talking about having a bit of fight, they, they kind of went out with a whimper, which, you know, people can be realistic and say, like, yeah, your favourites to go down, but if they see a bit of fight and a bit of something for the fans to get behind, then that's one thing. But when it's just kind of turning up to get rolled over, then then they needed to change. What's, uh, what's your thoughts on Everton? I mean, I know at the at the start, I was kind of ripping him to shreds and I spoke to a few Everton fans who weren't happy with what I said. But I don't know. I feel like, I feel like they have been, the punishment dealt has been quite harsh and we're still waiting to see if there's further punishment, right? Because they've just got another charge, obviously, with Forrest as well. Yeah, it's kind of funny because uh, when they got penalised, it almost made people feel a bit sorry for him. And then the, uh, what did you call them? The naughty school the naughty children. You kind of feel a bit bad and I said, now you want them to do a bit better. I mean, that would be the saviour for Luton, right? If Forrest or Everton or both lose some points. You know, Everton on the same amount of points with 20 as Luton, Forest only four points ahead. You take five or more off Forest and they're in they're in that relegation zone. So Luton will be hoping that they're they're given a gift with that. Yeah, and you'd like to think as well that surely that point deduction, if there is going to be one, has to come before the end of the season. Because if that comes at the end of the season and then they get that, that there is going to be absolute pandemonium. It has, to, it has to happen as soon as possible, if not save it for next season, because it, even if it's just like five games left and you take six points off Forest or Everton, that's an absolute killer with five point, with 
you know, five games left. So it has to even happen now or maybe you save it for next year. I don't know. But I just feel like when it's going down to the wire and then something external comes in like that, it's going to make a bit of a mockery, I think. Yeah, I think I think Forrest are going to be very close to it because when Nuno went into it, I think the first game was against United and they almost had that like that good feeling about them and he got a few good results. But then looking at recent results, I know they won last weekend, but like a few losses in there. You know who I see being scraped into it and are in a big, big trouble? It's Crystal Palace. Yep. Obviously, we uh, feel bad for Roy Hodgson, obviously being admitted to hospital and having to quit. Probably not the way he wanted to go out. Um, but the new manager that they brought in, Glasner, the guy from Frankfurt, he's got a good CV behind him in terms of getting to, like middle-ish teams into Europe. But you just look, I look at Crystal Palace like when they brought in uh, who was it, Frank de Boer, a few years ago and sacked him within four or five games because. Crystal Palace has been built right on a, a certain style of play, bringing kids through, playing almost like fast kind of counter-attacking play. And that hasn't really quite happened. I felt a bit bad for Vieira when he got sacked, but it's definitely a risk to bring this type of coach or manager into it. Uh, they could they could go down. Yeah, and I think it kind of comes back to investment. You know, losing your better players, obviously they lost Zaha. The kind of key players right now, are they going to keep up for next year? Probably not. Do they reinvest enough? Probably not. So I think it just catches up to you eventually. Um, you can't keep doing that over and over again and expect to stay in the league when there's other teams around you that are willing to, you know, splash the cash a little bit and, and try and spend money to to push on and, and move forward. It's If you're not pushing on to move forward, then you're going backwards in this league. Yeah, and I'm looking at the goal difference here. Minus 16 for Crystal Palace. Everton, minus 12. Uh, minus 6, sorry. Forest, minus 12. Uh, that goal difference can be a big factor into this as well. Yeah. So who are you going for, bottom three? Uh, Sheffield United, Burnley. I would put in there. I think it's a it's a flip of a coin between Forest and Palace. I think Everton, will, as long as... If we're saying there's no further point deduction, right... I would say Everton are going to be safe. Um, and I think Brentford, now they've got Ivan Tony return, I think they're going to be safe. Um, Bournemouth, I don't see being dragged into it. And Fulham, I think, have got too good of a team to to really push in. Um, so for me, it's a toss-up between Palace and Forest. So you're... So Forest are currently four points ahead Luton and of Luton and Everton. Palace are five points ahead of Luton and Everton, but you're saying both of those teams are going to overtake Palace and Forest? Well, yeah, I mean, like this weekend, for example, you've got Palace v Burnley, which is a big game. Mm. Like Burnley are going to want to get something out of that. Um, and I'm just looking at like Luton's fixtures. They do have some tough fixtures coming up, but they play Palace, I think, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, albeit at Sellers Park, but if Luton go and win that game and Palace haven't won in the in the meantime, you're then looking at like a two-point difference. The only thing I think Crystal Palace fans can hope for is that new manager bounce, right, within the first couple of games. Um, yeah. I want to say Sheffield United, Burnley. You might be right. Maybe Sheffield, you know, maybe Sheffield United pick up a few more points and, and uh, finish above Burnley and Burnley the rock bottom. I'm going to say that Forrest get some points deducted and Forrest finish in 18th. 
And that's how Luton and Everton avoid relegation. So you reckon Luton and Everton are banking on us? Yeah, Luton and Everton banking on Forest getting some type of point. Well, I think they would back themselves either way. You know, they'll be looking at it going, well, it makes no difference to us. We got, we still got to get as many points as possible. But I think it, I think for, I think that's what happens. I think that's what happens at the end of the season, and I think that's the difference. I think the saving grace as well for Luton. I feel like because I watched them last night against Liverpool, they do score goals. Yeah, that, yeah, that's true. Um, and Calvin Morris up top, but yeah, also concede some. <laughs> yeah, they do. They they really do. Um, so for me, I'm going to bank with Sheffield United, Burnley, and because my mates back home are Palace fans, I'm going to put Forest down. Oh, same as me then. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So let's now revert and go back up to the top. The race is on. I, I'm, I'm, albeit I wish it was United at the top of the league. I'm loving it that there is actually a title race. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned United. If you want to go before we get to the title, the European spots, which is top four for Champions League, but might actually be top five. I think it's like, a, was it 70% chance that... Yeah, it's all to do with the coefficient five. ratings of uh, Europe amongst uh, the top leagues. But if that goes into fifth spot, then that's going to be huge for your Villas, your Tottenham's, your United's. I do think there is now room between United and the teams below them. Albeit a lot of results can change within the space of a few weeks, but... I don't see Chelsea creeping up there. I don't see West Ham creeping up there. Newcastle, Brighton. I've actually been somewhat disappointed with Brighton this year because they've been so inconsistent. Like You look at them and they, they do play, albeit an attractive style of, of football, but they've lost games that they shouldn't. They really shouldn't have lost games. Um, and then there's, what, six points difference, which I know can change quickly, but... I think the race for, let's just say it is the top four. I think the race is on between United, Tottenham and Villa. Um, I do see Villa dropping off. Oh, okay. Interesting. I think it's a big ask to make up those five points on Villa for Man United. I think Man United have won well, their last four league games. Yeah, they're going really for the fifth, uh, fifth one this weekend. Yeah, which in, in this league, you win five in a row. So I think right now, the only team that's won their last five games is Arsenal. So, um that's a big deal. I think if you win five in a row and it has made a big difference in the league table, I just don't know how they catch Villa. Like I said, do they drop off? I'm not so sure. I think people have been waiting for Aston Villa to drop off for a while now and they and they you know keep churning out wins. They keep every time they look like they're having a little bit of a struggle, they bounce back and get it going again. So that was a huge win though for United beating them. Um a very entertaining game, I'm sure, for the neutral. And definitely United would be very happy to go and beat them and close the gap. But I look, I'm look, i looking at like Villa's remaining fixtures. They've still got to go play Tottenham. They've got to play Arsenal. They've got to play City. They've got to play Liverpool. So there's some big, big games in there. Okay, like, so they're playing, yeah, they're playing the top, other than themselves, the, the top four clubs they start to play. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking now. In terms of like top eight teams, Liverpool, Brighton, Chelsea, Arsenal... Man City, so that is a tough running. Uh, yeah, but I'm sure United and Tottenham also have uh, some tough games to come up to, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, to be fair, they, they do. I'm looking at United now. The last two games of the season, home to Arsenal and away to Brighton. And yeah, like, so you they, you they wouldn't be shocked be... if you don't get any points from those two games. Yeah, you need to be in the... And that could be a huge game for Arsenal, right? So, you've got a 
Man United need to be in the top four before those games happen to have a chance. They're, they're not going to catch up with two games to go, I don't think. Um, I, mean, I think it all determines as well for this running about Europe too. I mean, like you look at Arsenal obviously losing last night to Porto. Um, what are they focused on? I feel like there's going to get to a point where they've got to almost like focus on one thing and not both. Maybe. Um, but a big, a big change for United has been Hoyland, right? It just shows, right? Once a striker gets confidence and starts finding the back of the net, it's a it's a big difference. And even, I don't want to jinx it, and I'm going to touch wood here, but Anana's become more consistent. And he's, I feel like he's kept things a lot more simple. Well, I think when you win, it hides up a lot of things. It can hide any deficiencies, but when you lose, it highlights them, right? So I think... Football's fickle like that, so um, winning kind of solves a lot of problems. It keeps the fans, all of a sudden the fans aren't complaining so much about the glaciers and the board. That's going to be quiet. And that's what happens when you win. It, it kind of covers the cracks a little bit. No, I think you're right then. I think obviously the, the glazer in the Osh like deal going through and now being more solidified is definitely going to add a calming presence, I think, to the crowd when they're at Old Trafford. Um I think United are probably the least favourites to be in that fourth, fifth, sixth spot. I think, for me, I think Tottenham are creeping into number four. I think maybe then it's a real tight battle and it could even be a trivia question next year about points, just like the one earlier. Um, I think Villa and United are going to be close, but the biggest thing you look at for me is Villa on plus 19 goal difference, United are on a measly one. Yeah, it might come down to that. I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's it could come down to that. But you, you, you just told me you think Villa's going to drop off. Tottenham are, are Tottenham. You know, people call them Spursy for a reason because they, they, they tend to mess up these situations. If you, if history is anything to go on, which would leave the door open for Man United to walk into that fourth spot. I think the I think uh, that fifth spot is probably going to be a European Champions League spot, anyway. So it's more of a top looking to get in the top five rather than top four. Yeah, I think as well. I think if you look at those three teams, which team has the most experience? Not just in terms of players, but in general of getting into those, into those like really game defining moments that are going to get you into the top four. And I think it's got to be Man United, right? Like Man United, yes, we've had our bad years for the last, say, 10 years or so, but like even like last year and whatnot, like they pushed and pushed and pushed. And United are starting to get players back, albeit Luke Shaw's now injured again. Um, but as you said, Hoyland now being on form changes United. Yeah, but I think um, Villa, with, their new, with the manager there, experiencing kind of uh, big situations in, in Europe and European tournaments too so um all of these not, teams no pressure on villa too. yeah i mean all of these teams will be backing themselves i think for me though i think uh i'm gonna say that man united finish in fourth i knew there was a reason i liked you and then tottenham five villa six you know what I think is going to be huge, and I think it's going to be huge for bottom, middle, top of the table is injuries. Like if if United go and get if Hoyland goes and 
pulls his hamstring and he's out for four to six weeks, where are the goals coming from? Like then that drops them down. If say look you look at Tottenham, if Sun gets injured or if uh, Richarlison gets injured, there's their goals gone. Um Yeah, I mean Man United just lost Martinez and Luke Shaw. I mean <laughs> I don't want to make never make a suit for Man United because they should have the squad to deal with with the size of the club that they are, but they have been missing for the majority of the season. Martinez, Varane, Shaw's in and out, Casemiro. So basically their whole spine of their team, Mason Mount as well. Um What a signing he's been, Mason Mount, gone missing. He's been making <laughs> a cup of teas every morning. Yeah, yeah. Well but that's that's the difference, right? Villa, Tottenham, United, you look at their squad and then you look at Arsenal City, Liverpool. Them top three teams can lose one or two key players and replace them. Yeah, I mean, when when they lost Liverpool, lost Mo Salah, and it's like, and then you look at their front three, and it's still it's still the if not one of the best front threes in the league, even with with Salah taken out of there. So, so you're going United in fourth, Tottenham fifth, Villa sixth, and then you don't. No, see I'm going to change three. it. I'm going to go. I'm going to go uh, Tottenham fourth, United fifth, Villa sixth. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. I think. I feel like there's more pressure on Tottenham getting in there um, than Villa. I think if I'm a Villa fan and before the season, you're taking sixth or seventh spot as well. Um, and it's one of those, you, do you want to jump too early into the Champions League? Albeit, yes, you bring in a lot of revenue, but then your players are asking for more money. You're bringing in maybe a different calibre of player. Do you lose it a little bit? Um, no, you, you've got to take it. You stop it. They'll snap your hand off to get in the Champions League. You can't go, oh, we'll hold back this year because next year will be our time because next year comes and you finish ninth. So well, you've you got to take it, for example, right? This, yeah, this is the opportunity for Villa and they've got to go for it. Yeah, Newcastle for me have been disappointing. You had Newcastle coming in at four at the start of the year. Still um, time. Yeah, all right. <laughs> um, well, I think the Tenali, the Tenali situation is a big blow. You know, I think that was their best signing of the year and he's not been able to play so that definitely impacts things but yeah and I don't think they've you know when with the money that they have there was a lot of hype about it and it's not really you know they've not really had the signings that I think people expected I would be interested to hear from Newcastle fans like are they a bit disappointed obviously I think they're going to be disappointed in where they stand in the league but with the transfer dealings yeah, and I think FFP have come has come and smashed a few teams. To be fair, and I feel like because Everton have been dealt with that that point deduction, I think teams now are like really nervous about spending a little bit too much money. Which is fine because you have to implement the rules. But that is my issue with FFP: is that does this mean now that the the, the big clubs are always going to be the big clubs? So, like, what we had with Chelsea when Roman Abramovich came in, splash money, and then Chelsea went and won titles. Same with Man City. That's never going to be able to happen again because even if I had billions and billions, I can't spend it, which I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. Yes. The thing that winds me up, and I don't really want to go on a tangent, is Everton have been dealt this blow, and then it's Everton and now Forest again. But... What's happening to Man City? Why is that always so quiet, yet they've been dealt 2,000 charges and could be relegated into League Two, but it's, that's gone quiet. It's because, like, considered a big team. So I almost feel a little bit bad for Everton and Forest because it's like almost, yeah, let's just punish them because it doesn't really matter. Whereas Man City, let's go quiet, let's hush it about. 
I think money gets things done, doesn't it? And obviously they've all got money, but there's levels to it. And Man City are going to have the best lawyers, the best the best everything, just like on the field, um, to try and squash it or try and keep it quiet or to keep dragging it out as long as possible. Um, so I don't know what the Premier League or the FA or anyone can do to kind of bring it forward and make it happen. Yeah, the, the one thing obviously with that is um, Ratcliffe, the new uh, Ineos guy at United, in an interview yesterday, uh, the journalist asked him, so do you want to see Man City relegated with all these charges? And he goes, no, nah, I just want to smash them at the weekend. <laughs> so oh, good luck with that one. Yeah, that's not going to happen for a fair few years. But all right, so then looking then into the top three, um, there's a five-point difference between Arsenal in third on 55 points, City 56, and Liverpool, who have played one more game in 60 points. What way do you see it going? Uh, I think it might finish as it stands currently. Liverpool first, Man City second, Arsenal third. Um, if I if I could choose, I would want Arsenal to finish first. I never like it when the same team always wins the league. So it's kind of what makes the Scottish league boring and the German league boring, although it's different this year in the German league and that's why it's interesting. Um, you hate the Scottish league, don't you? <laughs> no, no. Um, but... So, you know, either Liverpool or Arsenal winning it, I would choose prefer Arsenal to win it. But I think Liverpool have been the most entertaining team to watch. So let them win it. Yeah, for me, I can't have City winning four in a row. Um, I don't really want Liverpool to win it. I don't want City to win it. Like for me, I would, I would prefer Arsenal to win it. But then good old Lego Ed, I can't stand him on the sideline as well. So... But if I'm picking between all three of them, also Klopp, Klopp's last. If it is Klopp's last season, going out winning the league title, uh, I know for you it's a it's a tough one to be happy about as a Man United fan. But it is a bit of a a nice way for it to end it. In. It is. I mean, as much as I hate Liverpool and Klopp does annoy me in terms of some of the moaning that he does, you can't underestimate what he's actually brought to the game, not just in England, but like worldwide in terms of his style of play. And you, you said it earlier, Liverpool are an entertaining team to watch. Um, would I begrudge him maybe picking up the title on his last day at Liverpool? No, I don't think I would. Um, but... I think the problem with, for him right now is people say this is Liverpool's, like, what an impact he's had. This is the best you know Premier League era that Liverpool's had, and then you look at the trophy cabinet and there's one league title in it. So getting another one in there would go a long way, I think, for him to kind of justify getting put in the same category as, well, if you can argue it, I don't know, as as an Arsene Wenger and people like that in terms of the trophies that are brought in. Because you, you, could, you could easily argue that his impact on soccer, on the game, justifies that. But the trophies in terms of Premier League titles, maybe not. Yeah, I'm looking as well like how close it is in terms of like goals scored and goals against. I would say Arsenal's probably got the best in terms of they've only conceded 22 goals, um, but then Liverpool are top goal scorers on 63 goals. Do any of those teams play each other still? Who's playing who in in those three clubs? I mean, that'll go a long way to it. Those matches are going to be, uh, well. It's going. It's not going to be just about the game. It's going to be about how the players handle the pressure and handle the handle the day of it. 
because everyone there knows that's a six-pointer. Yeah, I mean, that would be huge. I'm just looking through the results now. The absolute classic six-pointer. <laughs> um, I don't think Arsenal play Liverpool before the end of it. I think they've played them twice. And I'm looking at Man... Oh, no, sorry. Man City, Arsenal. Sunday, the 31st of March at, at City. Ooh. That that could be your title decider, right? Well, that I mean, that could... If Arsenal lose that, that's a... That's almost that kills them off at that point, I think. It's almost one of those that Man City can probably afford to lose that more than Arsenal. I feel like if Arsenal lose that, they lose their heads. If City lose that, they just carry on with it and probably go and win 7 0 the following weekend. Yeah, or uh, Liverpool watch it and it's a 1 1 tie and they're happy about that. But uh... There's just something about Arsenal that irks me that it's like they're not going to get the job done. There's something there that's telling me that they're not quite good enough. Well, probably last season is what's telling you that. It is, but then I, I just watch them as well. And I don't know. It's like last night I watched them against Porto and they just seem completely flat and dead. Is that is it a case of similar to last year, the tiredness creeps in towards the end of the year? Well, there was a lot of talk last year about the intensity and the immersion that they come, they're just always playing with and, and how that fatigues players. And by the end of the year, you just you just fail because of it. What was the game the other week where after the game they were celebrating? Oh, with the ca- Odegaard becoming a cameraman, taking pictures. Like, yeah, calm down, son. Yeah. Um, and that's a, it's a tough one to say if that's right or wrong. I think, you know, are you going to begrudge people to enjoy winning after the hard-fought win? But also, was it a bit over the top? Yeah, probably. So, you don't kind of, you don't really see that from Man City. No, you don't. You just... You, Man City is almost very similar to when like United were dominating like the nineties, early two thousand in terms of they would win a trophy and I hear it like podcasts all the time, like Gary Neville spoke that and Rhea Ferdinand I think said it that they won the Champions League and the next day Fergie was like looking at right the next game, what's the next game? Like enjoy the night, but what's the next game? And I feel like that's City now, right? City go and win something, but then it's about right, what's the next step? They don't kind of get too carried away. And I think that that is what could bode well for them as the season gets closer and closer. Yeah, experience. Being there, done that. Um, that's That could be definitely the difference maker in the end. But, like, you look at Kevin De Bru- Like, Haaland, I know, obviously, you can never doubt him. But, like, Haaland, De Bruyne, like, injuries that have played with him a little bit. Could they... Could they go pick up another? If that, one of them two goes and picks up an injury, then it really becomes an open race. Well, I think in terms of injuries, each team has, I would say, like difference makers. So I think for Liverpool, their difference maker is Van Dijk. For Man City, it's De Bruyne and Haaland. For Arsenal, it's probably probably the centre backs actually more than any anyone. Um, and which, if they were injured, which team's in the best position to replace them? And it, I think it's Man City, really, isn't it? Yeah, uh, you can just never rule out City, right? Uh, so what are you going for? I think I'm going to go Liverpool in one. I think I'm agreeing with you here. Liverpool one, City two, Arsenal three. Tottenham four? Yeah. Yeah. I, no, you know what? Sod it. I'm going to say United are getting fourth spot. I think if, if they do get fourth... That is actually a pretty good achievement, I think, from Ten Hag, especially when you look at how the season started out. Um, 
that would buy him some time because I think uh, change is around the corner. Well, there's the latest rumours about Thomas Tuchel uh, becoming a new United boss because he's leaving. Mm. Yeah, maybe. But I don't think what he's done lately would put him in a good, strong position to become the Man United manager. I'm not sure how that works. Yeah, but... All right, I feel like... I definitely feel like it's definitely going to be exciting over the next few weeks. Um, And I think, like we said... A lot can change between this time and in two weeks' time. It's not like a case of, oh yeah, we'll see how it is in in like April. Like next week, something could completely change. Yeah, I'm actually more excited to look at to watch these kind of these games at the bottom of the league because I think they'll be real. You know, you'll see some real joy at the end if if Luton win. That place is the roof's going off. Oh, the roof going off! Can you imagine the little old Margaret who lives in the house next to it? They'll be coming through the walls. Yeah, but. All right, so I think we're in agreement of how we're kind of thinking it's going to shape up. But as you've seen from our predictions in prior podcast episodes, we're completely wrong. So we'll probably look back at this and uh, Arsenal will win the league, Man City will drop out and it'll be all capitulated. But it's definitely, uh, I'm excited. Yeah, and I would just a little, I mean, it, it makes it sound like it's boring to be a fan of one of those mid-table teams, but... One of the clubs that's probably done a lot better than I expected is Wolves. Obviously, they had a big win against Tottenham. I think uh, they're doing very well because I didn't expect them to be, you know, pretty safe and secure at this point in eleventh place. Um, so fair play to them. That's another thing as well. Like Gary O'Neill coming in the night before the first game and doing what he's done with the team. Like fair play to him. Like if he yeah. goes, I'm just looking now. If he goes and like gets the next win, and every team above him loses, he could find himself from 11th spot into seventh. Yeah, that's a lot of this and buts, but it is. But if they, if like, they yeah, finish top ten, if they finish top ten, then he's on the shortlist. Doesn't win it, but he's on the shortlist for manager of the year. 100. But all right, well, it'll be interesting to see how this these predictions uh, unfold in the next few weeks. But before we do um, come to an end. Um, Jack, your uh, your question, if you don't mind repeating it, because I'm struggling. Yes, so the question is, what? Uh, there's two answers. So, what is the biggest title-winning margin in terms of points, then the teams involved, and the year, and then also the smallest title-winning margin, um, the amount of points, and the uh, the teams involved as well. So I'll start with the, I think what the smallest and the reason I say this one is I feel like I've got it right because of the heartache it gave me. <laughs> um, was it the 11-12 season, the Aguero moment where the camera pans to Phil Jones shocked face when United are at Sunderland. Um, and I think it literally came down to goal difference. So was it like the smallest margin being zero points? Yeah, correct. Zero points. That Aguero goal was the difference maker. Even as a Man United fan, you have to admit that is one of, if not the kind of the moment of Premier League history. Nope. Okay. Uh, do, you know, do you know what the uh, the difference of goal difference was? Uh, minimal. I'll, get, I'll take a guess. Four. Eight. Oh, all right. Fair play. The difference of eight goals um, for Man City to. So zero, point, zero points, but a, a a goal difference better by eight goals for Man City over Man United. And then the biggest title winning margin? So this one was a complete guess. 
But I'm pretty sure when Liverpool won it in what was that 1920 season, they had a really, really big point. Well, I just remember it being a huge. United got third, I think, that year, and the points was like 30 odd points <coughs> between us in third and Liverpool in first. That would be my guess, Liverpool and City in that year. So I have it down as the biggest title winning margin was 19 points in the 2017-18 season for Man City over Manchester United. So you're saying the 2017-2018 season? Yeah, was that 19 points? It was, yeah. City had 100 points and United had 81. And let me just see if if I've... uh, I said the 18, the following year, no, 1920, Liverpool had 99 and City had 81. So yeah. Uh, 18 points so I just missed out by a point you were close though good effort yeah I thought I did alright there yeah I think the smallest title winning margin like you say people will remember because of the unforgettable Phil Jones face as well as the Aguero goal Um, but the biggest title winning margin is definitely the harder of the two questions I also remember that moment like Fergie like looking at his watch and all the players like looking around and the biggest thing from that that I always remember is it they got it to 1-1. One, one. Were they playing QPR, right? Yeah. And then the QPR team took the kickoff and literally tapped it to one player and he just booted it into the up the field. So the man got the ball. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. He just got the ball and booted it up the field. And then Man City went and scored. It was like, well, what? Joey, Joey Barton was playing for QPR at the point. Ex-Man City. Somebody's definitely had a word of him. So look, I'll give you 100 grand. Just mat, like boot it down to us. Let us have one. Yeah, and it flies past Paddy Kenny and go. Because you look at it as well and, like, there's some poor marking going on. They've definitely thrown that. There's some dodgy dealings going in. I want a replay. <laughs> All right, Cloppy. <laughs> um, but, no, enjoyed this episode. Um, always good to look at the Premier League and give some uh, ridiculous predictions. That was a good one. Yeah, good one. And we uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, this episode and we, uh, we bid you a farewell.